at a place that was so dark and so trying that I said, the only thing I have never tried is just to surrender because I've had so much willpower my whole life to do it all on my own. And the, the minute I said, you know what, God, do what you got to do with me. Show me what my next step is. That was when I knew I had to get surgery. And so it didn't matter that I would have to reinvent myself. It didn't matter that my career might be gone because people wouldn't understand it. Maybe no one would ever love me again because my body would be all fucked up. Like these are the things that were going through my mind. I didn't care because I had surrendered fully. I can't tell you the strength and the power that comes with actually letting go of willpower. I would tell you all my secrets, wrap your arms around my weakness. If the only other option is letting go, I'll stay vulnerable. desirable you will have the life that you want you'll be loved by this person you want if you just feel better about yourself by doing this so it's like this equation that we believe in and that we wholeheartedly kind of subscribe to from a young age my mindset hadn't changed until march 18 2019 when i got surgery i still had the same old mentality on success on values on core beliefs had not changed until that surgery we are in a time when we just desire so deeply to be loved and accepted and we feel like that is the only way to do it and i want to show that i may have subscribed to that before but i want to talk about it and and whoever wants to listen like i'm here for them for that that was tamra day i'm andrew connect and this is the unpretentious podcast a viral video, 1 million Instagram followers, a successful business, acceptance of her body type and being desirable, as fun and rewarding as these are, didn't fulfill Tamara's purpose in life. Instead, she found strength in a place where she had nothing, where her relationships and even her body failed her. In this place, she surrendered and found something she wants to share. I asked her about this and what she values in life. You could ask that one question and we could be done with the, the interview. Like That's how I feel about how much I think value is playing a role in where I'm being guided now. And I think where a lot of people are being awakened to is coming down to the core value of what we're here to do, what's our purpose, what's our mission. And I used to live my life according to what I felt I needed to do in order to be a certain way, act a certain way, elicit a certain response from people. It was my it was my protection. It was my way of getting survival, truly, you know, in a, in a world that I felt very disconnected from, very alone in. And in my recent journey, and I know the recent, like, I guess, surgery really opened my eyes to what I value, but it was all the years leading up to it, all the ways in which that led me to that exact moment of that kind of awakening and that happening is that I needed to come to a place to realize like the one thing that I truly, truly value is my relationship with God and with a higher power that has been walking with me this entire time when I felt so alone and so lost and feeling like playing the why me and the victim game. Now, like changing the narrative of realizing everything was guiding me and leading me to right here so that I could step into my purpose and it looks nothing like what I had imagined for myself, envisioned, even worked towards. You know, I was 
a huge proponent of do, do, do more, 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 bigger, better, stronger, faster, like all these, you know, adjectives that describe someone who could overcome. I thought those defined me as being worthy or, or valuable. The less of the doing and more of the being, which is what I'm working on mostly now, I think it's a lifelong process, is realizing that my value is inherent in just being here. But it goes against everything that we as a society are being programmed to believe. The, the listeners won't have known the article that you sent me until further in this discussion, but it's interesting you sent me it because it's that constant subliminal messages that we're being told and then the constant barrage of images and messages that we see on social media that are telling us otherwise. So it's like we have this constant battle in our heart and in our mind of like, are we valuable, valuable just as beings, just as being here, being alive, having breath and giving our gifts to the world? Or is it the doings and the accomplishings? And, and it's so befitting, obviously, of like what just happened with losing Kobe Bryant and the tragic loss of all the families that were on board the helicopter and realizing like the value in which our society places on people who do amazing things and accomplish amazing things and how we feel like if we just do those things, we will be revered in the same light. We will have great things, but the awesome power of like a mass amount of people, probably a majority of the world seeing that and being like, and yet still, we can go out at any time and you can't take anything with you. So to just value like every breath, every second we have to be able to share our gifts, connect with people, that is what I value. <laughs> so that was a long description, but literally that's the only thing that matters to me right now. <laughs> Let's back up in your story and see how you got to this point today. Because if you had heard these words when either you started playing D1 soccer or you, or you had your viral video, and then you started gaining social media following, or right yeah. after you had your breast implants. All these things are part of your story that led you up to this mm -hmm. point. How could you help someone understand who's not where you are today, how you might have felt at those different times in your life when you thought success was reaching a million followers, mm -hmm. if, that, if that was ever a, you know one of your things you wanted to do? Success has taken on many a different definitions in my life and watching it uh, play out in other people's life and being an onlooker on that and and getting to see like the inside story of what's happening to someone even when they reach a point of quote-unquote success that I felt deemed it to be successful or that person to be successful mm -hmm. and realizing that it didn't have the same kind of fulfillment and it didn't change their life in the way that I thought it would and so it started getting me thinking like how do I wager or gauge success in my own life? And, and why is it based on the achieving of things when I'm in the same headspace when I get to that place? But that didn't, that took me so many years to get there. Like I talk to young girls all the time on social media. So, I mean, I'm so grateful for the platform because it allows me to talk to them. But part of me just so earnestly wants to like reach through the phone and through the waves of the internet and just shake down and be like, it won't happen overnight, period, point blank. If you want whatever's going to happen for you to happen, it has to be a change of mentality. That's the only way I, I got to be here and will get to the next phase and chapters of my life is by a constant change of mentality because it's that perspective shift that allowed me to continually evolve. 
and and with that came a new understanding of what I could achieve for myself. And none of those ended up being monetary success or uh, like level up success, if you will, like in a business or a career path or even, I guess you would say, a, a, a social media stand standing, like wherever that may be. But it was that I was able to see like, I'm still the same girl I was five, six, seven years ago. The numbers have changed, the, the the perception people have of me may, might have changed, but I still view myself the same. So I'm the only one that's going to be able to alter the, the course of my life or how I feel about myself. Now, once I had that understanding, it wasn't another, it wasn't until another maybe five, six years that I even truly understood what that meant. So I think when you have that first little inkling of, of knowledge that you're in control. I don't know if it's like you, you are in control because I do believe like a higher power is ultimately in control of what we're doing here, but that you have to be the one to take those steps, right? Like it's not just going to be placed in front of you. You have to actually take that leap of faith or a believe in yourself and not believe that there are things protecting you and guiding you. In my path, whether it be going into, into playing soccer, I think a lot of people would be surprised to learn that even though I was a great athlete and I chose soccer and I had offers from a lot of D1 schools, but I was a very lost child. I was 16 when I graduated from high school and wanted to just be out because I was tormented by other kids. And I just told, I had told my mom and I didn't have a great relationship with her. I just said, when I'm out of here, like I'm out, like you guys aren't going to see me again. I desperately wanted to leave, but my fears of the unknown and of my own insecurities didn't allow me to step into that role. I didn't have guidance from anyone or like mentorship. I ended up turning down all the scholarships and I just worked and I worked the first summer right after high school, I had this epiphany, maybe two weeks in, like, what are you doing with your life? Like anyone can work. I get it. Like you've worked to survive since you were like 13, but it's not necessary right now. Like you have an opportunity in front of you. So I went back to one of the coaches that had offered me a scholarship and he was like, you know what, Sam, like we filled all the spots. Obviously we're already into the, into the school year, you know, but I will allow you to try out and then earn your scholarship. And I was like, you know what? I just kept hearing this voice, like, you're going to learn everything the hard way, Tamara. <laughs> like, and it was befitting because I really have all these years. Just I'm very stubborn. So I think things are shown to me in a way that's very visceral and very like, you will get it this time, mm -hmm. but it's going to hurt and it's going to be painful. <laughs> so I had to work my way back up to that while working a, a job. I say part-time, but it was like eight-hour shifts after school, after practice, while having a full schedule at a state college. So it's like I had to learn the accountability, responsibility, the pushing yourself really, really hard. But I did all that to myself. So that was something I like, you know, when they say, do you regret anything? Like, I have really come to a great understanding that I don't regret the choices that I made because each one of them has taught me an invaluable lesson for what I need to serve from here on out. But I look back and I'm like, God dang it, Tamara, like you could have <laughs> just made things so much easier for yourself. Right. 
And yet that's not life. It was never promised to us that things were going to be easy. We so often look at like wanting to ease people's hurt and suffering and, and take it away and not realizing this could be potentially the one thing that teaches you something that you need to carry forth the next chapter of your life, you know, to do something great in your life. And, and I wish I would have had that understanding back then, but it, it took me 10 more years to get to a place where I was like, oh, I never would have seen that. I would have had to walk through all these other fires to get mm. here to carry this forward in my message now. And no way, shape, or form that I think there was going to be a platform where I could use my voice because social media was not something, I'm going to age myself right now, but it was not something that was in my immediate forefront. I mean, we had MySpace, and then Facebook was like just starting to come out, and I wanted nothing to do with it. Like, I wasn't someone who took pictures of myself ever and I was just too busy working and, and doing life so when Instagram came about I had this I don't know a gut intuition even though I had no idea what that even was back then to just go on it I was told to like share what I had in my heart and I knew not what that was going to look like I didn't have a game plan I didn't know like how to monetize I mean it didn't make a cent off social media for like three and a half years and then by the time I understood that you could monetize I didn't want to because I was like this is not what my purpose in starting this platform was ever going to be about and that was really hard for me because I had a lot of people as you can imagine in your life when you start hitting these bigger numbers being like oh you must be killing it let me get in on what you're doing let's start this let's do this throw me throw me some money here I don't think you guys comprehend that I'm still working my business that I started seven years ago. Like I started a spray tanning business mm -hmm. in 2013 and I've never worked for anybody since 2013. And none of that money was made off of social media until 2018 when I launched Prevay. It's interesting to watch how people treat you when they see numbers. Some people could say like the whole point of it is to monetize and to make money, right? Because reaching these monetary levels are your accomplishments, if you will. But I always knew like I had a higher calling to use my voice and I didn't want that to be diluted or drawn away from that purpose by pushing and promoting things that I didn't believe in. To kind of back you up in your story just a little bit before you get into the social media more, one of the things that I thought was like an interesting moment to just try to understand your mindset was when mm -hmm. you described yourself and I think as one of the other podcasts, it was like as you wanted to be the best at everything, even if that was being insecure. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's, that's a hilarious way to put it. <laughs> Given that before social media, even at age 11, you talked about looking at magazines, you were saying, well, how could I look like this? Would this make me better? That's right. that mindset that's already there. And yet you still have the courage the boldness the ability to quit d1 soccer because you got an argument with your coach and it's like those that to me is like a conflict of like on the one hand you're like unsure you're self-doubting but then you also believe in something so strongly you're able to quit so i was kind of curious what was it that motivated you i think that's a really deep perspective question that in saying what i'm gonna say now it might even change in a few years and maybe a few months because this is an ever-evolving understanding of the choices I've made in my life and the big why in which you do them, right? Because I still feel like I'm being guided in a way that mm. I, I leak before I know. And that was one of those moments where I got injured and instead of healing and coming back to the sport, I just took a moment to breathe and was like, I think I'm done. 
And that was a really, really difficult decision for me because soccer had been my life since I was three years old. I had every moment of every day I had spent thinking, deciding, planning, playing. It's all I knew and it's what saved me. But I think God knew that I had to walk through a different kind of fire after that to like stand on my own and not use the sport as a crutch anymore to hide what I was going to have to walk through. I mean, there's many moments where I'm like, holy shit, I really could have taken it all the way. Like I, I look back and I'm like, I did not know my own strength, my own capabilities, my own power. I only started bodybuilding and lifting way after I quit soccer and I was not even in the gym when I was playing and I ate horribly and I had a horrible mindset and I just I just pushed myself I just knew how to push myself and I was talented so I just think like wow if all of it had been aligned and I actually took care of myself and I gave myself an opportunity to succeed in it what would have happened that's what can hang us up in life so I don't I don't do that and instead I go mm-hmm. a higher self of me knew I needed to walk away from the sport and that my love mm. for it wasn't in it anymore and that allowed me to step into what my next chapter of my life was going to be this is like so befitting of what's happening right now in our society like we put so much value in our achievements and in our mm. even talent if someone says oh that's your god-given talent but we can't put all of our value in it because that can be stripped away from us at any time either. You could get an injury that takes out of you. You could lose your voice if you're a singer. Like there's so many things that if we place value in, who are we at our core when that goes away? I see it all the time with athletes mm-hmm. having to give up the sport. My father was an Olympic athlete who, when they went to the Olympics, it was a year they were, that was boycotted. And that was his last year in terms of age wow. to be able to try to go. And so some things can just be stripped from you before you even get a chance to live it out. I I watch as people age and are confused into the who in which they are. And I feel them so much because I've been there because I've walked that walk. And I know that now in understanding what my purpose is, I can connect with girls and women and, and even men on this level of understanding that we are so much more than the things we do and even the talents and gifts that we are given. It sounds like you're an intuitive person, and that's part of, like you're saying at the time, you just were following your intuition that this, my heart's no longer in this, even though this has defined who I am more or less up to this point in my life, I now know I need to find something else. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and it was so unknown, right? Like, I look back, I'm like, oh my God, I had nothing to fall back on, nothing. And I just worked my ass off, and I grinded, and it's in the beauty industry to create my spray tanning business and ultimately would become Privé, which I had no idea I was going to birth that out of necessity and out of that seed that I planted. But had I never taken that leap, I would have never created this. It would never flow into the next thing that's going to happen after that. I urge people to take the leap. I know it's the hardest thing ever because the unknown is, is so scary, but you just you don't give yourself an opportunity to create awesome things if you don't take that first. Your current perspective is you're looking back and saying, this is God working in my life. Was that at the time, was that also your thought process or is that something you've come to? Hell no. <laughs> okay, I got you. So at that point in your life, this is just, I know this isn't right for me. I'm jumping on board something else just because. Yeah, I look back and I can see things in retrospect, the way in which God moved in my life. But I think you have to understand, I was raised by Holocaust survivor grandparents who 
had a very interesting relationship with God in that it, it, they toyed between having a strong relationship to why would he let this mm-hmm. happen to our family and to everyone we knew and to an entire mm-hmm. almost race of people. How could this happen? And then my parents were pretty much atheist, and I was left to figure out the spaces in between. I didn't understand that we were connected to anything. I didn't have a balance or a foundation to work off of. And I have childhood traumas that I I had to deal with, with sexual trauma. And it's just like Mm -hmm. all these things compounded. I was so lost. So that girl who made the decision to leave soccer was Mm. extreme guttural. I'm going to do this. I can see now how in which God worked in my life, but that took Mm. 10 more years to find out. I mean, it's been a trying and tribulating and like awesome experience and amazing and beautiful, but it's not for the faint of heart. Mm -hmm. And like, that's what I tell girls and guys all the time. When you decide to take that leap and go do something scary and do something that you're being called to do, just because you get the calling and you get that intuition and you listen to it, and doors will start to open, it doesn't mean it's going to get any Mm. easier from here on out. Like, (laughs) this starts the real battle. But that's what we're put here to do, to learn, to experience, to gain knowledge and and go through these lessons. Sounds like resiliency, willpower, I think your word was overcoming. That's something that's always been something you valued. Absolutely. After after quitting soccer, what did you try to do then? I took a few years to build my business. I look at the doors that were open to me back then when I was 19, and I was really fortunate. I was put in line with some amazing clients that became my clients for now 10 years in the spray tanning world, and they really mentored me and and guided me and always supported me and saying whatever I put my mind they supported me in doing which I didn't have any Mm. strong people like that in my life so my clients actually became really integral in in that growth and a random client that I had from a referral was doing a bodybuilding show totally outside of the world I was in because I was spray tanning industry people so actors and celebrities and I was in that entertainment industry the only thing I knew about the bodybuilding world was that my parents were former bodybuilders <laughs> and I knew I wanted nothing to do with it. When I got asked if I was a bodybuilder, I was like, oh God, absolutely not. And they're like, well, why are you so buff? Like for no reason. I'm like, oh, I played soccer and um, my parents were bodybuilders. So polygenetics. And then they're like, why don't you do one? And I had this just like visceral like image of them <laughs> greased up on stage in the nineties, like first eighties. I was like, heck no, I'm not doing that. And then they dared me, and you don't try to dare a competitor. (laughs) So I was like, fine, find me a show. They found me when it was like five weeks out. Mind you, I had never lifted a weight in my life. Like every weight room session we had in soccer, I avoided. I was like, I got work. I got studying. I got this. I got that. And this is a whole other topic, but I was so afraid to build muscle because of how I viewed muscularity and femininity and the divide between that and my understanding of that back then. So mm-hmm. getting into bodybuilding was a huge change of perspective for me because then I did my first show. I got like wiped out the water, but I learned like how the inner workings were. And I was like, I could do this and I can find something that where I can push myself. And I love the feeling of pushing myself in the gym. Was something I, I could control. Again, like I was not in control of my life forever. So this was something you can see progression. You can be there and be like, no, I'm just going to do two more and you're in control of it. It was 
really profound for me to get into the sport. Now, the sport itself of like competing didn't end up being my calling, which I'm thankful for that I got the signs early on that it wasn't for me, that it was a little too political and I didn't want anything to do with it. Mm-hmm. But the sport of bodybuilding and lifting, if you will, just became embedded in my soul and has also been that thing that led me to where I am now. So it's like, that's why I say like, I'm fitness, I'm beauty, I'm business, I'm all these things because mm-hmm. I am the culmination of where they led me. So after soccer, you go to the spray tanning, which leads you into the bodybuilding. Mm-hmm. And you're saying the bodybuilding, you didn't have any physical outlet because soccer's gone. But what, right. what it gave you was a sense of control in your life. You saw progression. You saw progress. You saw if you applied yourself, things got yeah. better. You liked who you were becoming. Yeah. I mean, when you don't have a foundation that's in anything higher than yourself and you don't see models in front of you, and I don't mean like supermodels, like you don't see something modeled in front of you that you can try to achieve or attain, you're left to your own devices of like, well, what am I doing in this world and what do I have to offer? Bodybuilding became a way for me to go, well, I can control how I appear. And getting on stage was the first time I'd ever been positively recognized for my physique. Mm. I grew up being tormented for having muscles as a girl and bad skin and bad hair and all these things that I didn't know how to control. So it was like, wow, I'm actually getting praised again, outside accolades, things that I now realize I don't need. But back then, work a saving grace and a guiding hand, if you will, to lead me to the next phase, which I had no idea the next phase was going to be social media. But I just got into bodybuilding like, yes, this is what I'm doing. And I had no idea it was going to give me the platform to reach girls and talk about the ideas of our aesthetics and our femininity and muscularity and all the intricately webbed ideas of the female physique and beauty standards. I see. So at that time, it it took something that previously was a source of almost embarrassment or pain, insecurity. And now now there's a community supporting you, encouraging you, finding out who you are is something they think is desirable. Yeah. And I didn't see it right away. You know, I got on stage and really had to fight my way into shows because I didn't, I didn't get on a team. I didn't have financial support to traveling to different places. It was, I solicited my dad to train me in the gym and he showed me how to lift old school bodybuilding style. (laughs) And then I got on stage with handmade bikinis by myself. I did my own hair and makeup. I spray tanned. I could do and be in control of all this. I thought it was so amazing. And then you get on stage and you realize None of that shit matters if you're not on a team, if they don't know Mm -hmm. who you are, if you don't come with a name behind you, you're not going to place. I put value in placing because for me, it was like I worked my ass off and I'm being told that I'm going to place higher up because of where I stood and then realizing those places were already taken by people that they had to give them to. So. I was disheartened, but I needed to learn those lessons. I mean, I look back and I'm like crying in the locker room of after uh-huh. one of my second shows and I was alone and I was like, this is bullshit. Like, why do I even put myself through this? And everyone feels emotional because you're like, you're tired, you're exhausted. You've been holding poses on stage, you're drained. But also I was mentally and spiritually drained. I just felt like, do I not even belong in a sport that I was literally made to do? Like my parents did it. My body was made for it. Like, and I don't even belong here. Like, where do I belong? And it just so happened that at that moment, 
this man who I later learned was Jay Cutler because I didn't really know anyone in the industry. He walked up to me and he was like, Hey kid, like put his hand on my shoulder. He's like, I saw you on stage. Don't even sweat it. You're going to make a name for yourself in this industry. It's going to be your way, but like, don't even worry about these people. And I like, it's going to make me emotional right now. Cause I'm just realizing like what he profoundly said right there. This many years later has really stuck with me because he doesn't know what he did for me in that moment, but it's moments like that that have guided me. And I did more shows after that and didn't place really anywhere. And I, I let go of the sport, but like, it's so funny that then the platform blew up off of my physicality and then my voice and my message. And now like, it's kind of coming really full circle and I'm actually being able to judge a bodybuilding competition where I'm in judging their progress over their stage appearance. And I think it's a really awesome thing that I get to change the game in that way. That is cool. Yeah. That's cool. You had that powerful moment. And I was thinking the football player, but he's a famous Oh, body. yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. There's two Jay Cutlers, both yeah. <laughs> awesome in their own right, but this happened to be the bodybuilder. <laughs> yes, and he kind of gave you that affirmation from, yeah, yeah. from someone who's... Well, who's won many, many titles and is just such a down-to-earth guy. And hearing that from a legend, you know, was like, mm -hmm. you know what? Like, I'm going to continue doing this, so... It drowned out the other voices. Yeah, you know? yeah. The politics of the sport, you realized to succeed, it wasn't in your control as much as you had hoped. So you're, that turned right. you off. Did that lead to Instagram or what? where'd you go next? Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think of the exact time frame of it. I did my last show, October 2013, was really disheartened by the industry. I was drained by my physicality like for me getting that thin to get on stage and have them still tell me you're not conditioned enough I was like this is not mm -hmm. healthy for me this is not how I want to appear it's not how I want to walk around on on this planet so I kind of went 180 and was just like I'm gonna be fat and lazy and I don't care <laughs> about my physicality and so I spent the next year just working and being angry at the world and mm. I got really mm -hmm. thick again and not muscular and soft, if you will, got my breast implants, thought, screw this world. I'm just going to go. And that was the moment that I decided to get on social media. So I think a lot of people saw like this really fit person when they saw me, but that was when my page blew up. Like when I first got on, I was trying to come out of, pull myself out of this, um, F the world, F the fitness world kind of mentality. Mm. And then people start seeing me in my kind of thicker, muscular phase of I'm just going to lift weights because I want to and screw mm -hmm. the people that needed me to be so thin to be on stage. And I didn't realize that was going to create this movement of girls being like, I've never seen someone built like you before. Like, and I would get young girls being like, I want to look like you. And that was glorying to me because my mm -hmm. whole life I had just heard people being like oh like your arms are so manly your legs this and that and and it was like I'd never heard anyone saying they wanted to look like me and that just it it was like there's got to be something here and I think that's ultimately what really drove me to try to build my page because I wanted to create a community of girls that saw that and if that was them if they were that athlete that you know, was never deemed beautiful. And, and yes, 
even in saying so right now, I do believe like a lot of it was vain for my own insecurities, like to hear that I was desirable or beautiful, really like changed my mind about things. And then again, right, like the surgery, I had to get walked through the darkness to realize none of that was even important, but it was integral in my journey to hear those Mm -hmm. things because I really needed to know there's more girls out there like you had I not learned that then I would never think like there's more girls out there that I have to reach about this next message you know I remember you describing like you were very intentional or you had like a thought out plan of I want to work with these photographers I want to present myself this way that's kind of a I don't really have that knowledge how did how did you go about knowing how to market yourself or what imaging you wanted? Oh, man, I have always just been, like, when I go into something, I'm going to learn as much as I can about it. And this world was so new to me, and no one around me was in it. So, you know, when I would see people on it shooting with somebody, I'd be like, okay, I need to go shoot with that person. So I would spend, like, all my money that I worked for, if I had some left over after rent and food and bills and all that, I was, I'm going to go fly out to this place and shoot with this person and make myself available. It was how I was able to cultivate my own image. Cause I think if I had just allowed myself to like shoot with people that it was their image, their creativity, if you will, like I, I let creatives do their thing, but I choose selectively in terms of, I know that person can achieve the, the result that I want to get. I made sure that I was photographed in ways that weren't going to make me look skinny, skinny. It wasn't going to like drown out the stuff I was working so hard to present. And also I watched people that were quote unquote blowing up and being like, I need to go work with them. I, I have a knack for like seeing people that are on the rise, if you will. Mm. And I guess you can call it an intuitive thing or that I was being guided to the right people. But then I'm sure if you heard this interview, then you got this information, you know, that, when you're not expecting something to go viral and it goes viral for the wrong reasons, you're left to pick up the pieces after that going, I created this monster. Now I have to deal with the repercussions. And so I've had to rebrand myself quite a few times due to the negative response of some viral footage that I look back and I'm like, there's nothing wrong with it, but the way in which people took it, I became very recluse, very like ashamed of how it was being responded to. And instead of speaking out about it and being like, yeah, I mean, this, this got out and, and so-and-so had a response about it. Like, okay, right now Mm -hmm. I'm talking about like the basketball video that went viral Mm -hmm. and it was like a photo shoot we were doing and they happened to record it on video. There's something wrong with two girls. One's a semi-professional basketball player. One's a soccer player, like shooting hoops in a bikini. It's more so like how it was shot, the way in which people took it, that I was like mortified because I'm like, I don't want anyone to think that I have ill intentions about using my physicality or Hmm. that I don't want young girls to feel like ashamed of their bodies because you don't get to ever see girls that are like a little bit thicker, have a little bit more muscle move in that way. And I just felt so like, how do I turn this around? And so I did a lot of soul searching. I went off social media for like six months and just like oh, wow. relearned how I wanted to move in the world. As analytics would go, it's not good to take that much time off, but I had <laughs> to do it. In that six months allowed for a lot of growth in my mind. 
would I be further along numbers wise had I not rebranded myself? Absolutely. But I could care less because that transition was, I lost like, I think 350,000 in the Mm. course of those six months. And I, Mm -hmm. I felt so free. Mm. Now I have people that if they're still rocking with me, they're rocking with me because they know that I've evolved. And I constantly have done that. Getting the surgery just last year was another evolution where I lost another amount of followers and then gained such a substantial, impactful viewership, I will say, than anything. Before you get into surgery, because obviously I want to hear about that, but I'm still, I'm trying to understand like why you felt so conflicted about the viral video. So up, up until that point in time, you've been doing like the bodybuilding, the lifting, the, you know, posting pictures yourself. But that, that instance, you felt like you were being objectified or being sexualized? In um, a way. I didn't feel like I was in the video itself. I was being... In the response afterwards. Yes, I was being inundated with a crazy... Because anything that goes viral, these people don't know you. These people probably weren't following you. These people, like... This was my first instance with really hearing the negativity of the world, you know, like really on a grand uh, mm -hmm. scale, getting people being like, you should fucking burn in hell because you're a disgrace to women everywhere. Like that Mm -hmm. kind of thing, you know? So Mm -hmm. I was like, I'm just out here trying to make a living for myself, spread positivity, like work through my (laughs) own traumas. And here I am being hit with like, you slut, you whore, like this is a degradation to femininity, Mm. like just so much antithesis to what I was working on. I shut it all the way down, you know, and I I didn't have the mental fortitude or the spiritual foundation to understand that that's part of walking through the fire. Like when you're called to do something, it might look totally different than what you had imagined. And what it looked like right then was so frightening to me that I just ran away. I see. So there's this influx of hate and your identity of previously everyone was giving you like positive responses, right? seeing you the way you see yourself. And then all of a sudden there's just these people who know nothing about you. They're just angry and they just take yes. it all out on you. And I'm a women's studies major. I really like have this affinity towards lifting women up and, and showcasing their power. And it was like everything that I wasn't about was being thrown in my face And I was like, I created this monster. Like, I have to do something about this. And so I swore to myself that everything I did from then on out was going to be as authentic to myself as I could. And that didn't mean turning totally away from using my physicality because that's what Mm -hmm. I had known. But it meant that I was going to go on this evolution and I was going to let people in on it. That's what I've been doing ever since. And it's it's changed and evolved and grown. But I swore that I was going to be like an open book. I see. Would you say that was like another major transition point where you're now starting to look at success in different ways or look at all your achievement in different ways? Because you've now achieved a somewhat, you know, remarkable level of success is not what you thought it would be. I mean, I would say that was a shift, but it wasn't a shift in the in my mentality yet because I had reached a level of quote unquote success to the outside world in terms of like, okay, you hit a million followers. And like I said, people are like, Oh, you're killing it. You're this, you're that. And I'm like, I'm still the same person going through the Mm -hmm. same bullshit that I was going through four hours ago before I hit that million. You know what I mean? (laughs) And still working through it all, still getting through this negativity and learning how to respond to that because Andrew, my mindset hadn't changed until March 18th, 2019, when I got surgery. 
I still had the same old mentality. And people can look at my page and think I was already changing and evolving because I was. But my whole mentality on success, on values, on core beliefs had not changed until that surgery. Do you think either as someone who's had breast implants and then removed them or as someone who's been successful, do you think part of what society won't allow you to say is to remove their dream of what it will feel like to achieve or to experience what you have. If we've never reached a million followers, we want to believe it'll make our life better. And mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If someone who has it tells us this isn't the answer to life. We get angry because here you have what I think will make me happy and you're upsetting my dream. And so I just don't want to listen to it. So like, are you not allowed to say that? Because it's not, it offends everyone who <laughs> views you as aspirate. Yeah. Like, you're my dream. Yeah. You're my dream. You can't not be as happy as I think you should be. I think that's a huge part of it. Like I, I didn't even want to share the story at first. Cause I was like, they're going to look at me and be like, this bitch has everything. Of course she can go through the surgery and be like, I made it through. So, so can you like, so that was when I decided to really pull back the veil on like everything I had gone through because up until the surgery, I had alluded to and talked about in some interviews and in some posts that I had suffered from childhood sexual trauma and I had things happen to me throughout my life and I had suffered mm. from depression and anxiety and panic attacks and and it wasn't just to be a part of this huge movement. I have always talked about those things because I didn't want anyone to think that I had it all together. That was so important to me. And I don't know why early on that was a huge proponent for me to have that message run through my life or my career or my platform. But I needed women and girls to know that I didn't start from this awesome mentality. I had it, I had it all figured out because I hit this certain number on social media. Like I had nothing figured out. I just had drive and determination and some crazy ambition and a lot of hurt to work through. With the surgery, I surrendered everything, my life, my career, my relationship, mm -hmm. everything to, to get it done. So I didn't really care what the response was going to be. I asked God if like one person watches this video and is moved by it enough to like mm -hmm. know that she needs to take hers out because she had no idea that's what was making her sick or one girl that's like, you know what? I like her so much and I've watched her story and it resonates with me so much that I don't want to go get implants to try to achieve what she achieved. Cause I'll never sit here and be like, the boobs didn't make me like, mm -hmm. I don't know. I have no mm -hmm. idea. Maybe the boobs were a big factor in the confidence I had to build the platform I had to get to where I got to. Right. I can't mm -hmm. say what is what, but all I can say is if this, story moves you if you feel something from it look inside yourself and maybe see that you don't need them to make you happy to make you successful to make you feel valued if I look at some girls that are in the position to take them out like they maybe should or they're thinking about it and I've talked to them and they're like but I just can't like it's just I'll wait till something really bad happens or I'll wait mm -hmm. and I feel for them because I'm like I know what that fear feels like I know what that absolute like unknown scary feeling of changing your physicality and everything you've probably worked for and everything you're using as a guard and as a security blanket because that unknown feels like life or death 
And it doesn't mm. seem that way to people who don't have implants or haven't walked in that world or mm-hmm. don't know what trauma feels like. I mean, the majority and the studies are just now coming out, but the majority of women who alter their bodies in such a way do it because they've had trauma. So now you're asking to re-traumatize yourself, to open up those old wounds, to bring up stuff that you probably haven't worked on because you just mm-hmm. covered it up with something. <laughs> <laughs> and then to enter into a world that is still has the same mentality around beauty. And that's my constant message mm. to myself. And that's my constant want to, to talk about. And that's my constant evolution in that I'm almost a year out from surgery and still being called to talk about it because I'm like, this might be something I do for a really long time because of how pervasive it is in our society and how important it is Mm. to consistently drill this message into young women who are going to then have children who are then going to have children. And it's like, Mm -hmm. I want to, you kind of infiltrate the the minds and hearts with this message that they're not getting through other forms of media. You're up against companies with huge marketing budgets. And not just marketing budgets. I mean, the implant industry is so hardwired and connected into pharmaceutical and medical and the beauty industry that there are huge conglomerates reliant on our insecurities for their billions. Hmm. Help me understand that moment when you decide that you're getting your breast implants out. Obviously, you you described other places you had like physical pain, but up, mm-hmm. up until this point, like you'd had reinventions of yourself you pivoted and say, I used to do this and now I'm doing this. But this, like you're saying, this isn't just a pivoting. This is I'm giving up everything I've ever done and yeah. letting it all go away. That's everything you were. How did you let that go? Um, all I can say is that was a divine intervention because I sat there. I mean, there was a few things leading up to even finding out what could possibly be the issue of my sickness. Then a friend of mine in Australia who was dealing with breast cancer told me that my symptoms sounded like hers and that I should get them checked out. And obviously it wasn't breast cancer, but through her even triggering that thought in me led me to a guy's page about his name's Anthony Williams. And he writes about cleansing the liver because I was like, okay, if I have cancer, I need to figure out how I'm going to cleanse my liver and get rid of it. So I'm on his page and I'm divinely led to this girl who posted about his work, helping her with breast implant illness. And she just lists her symptoms. And I had never heard those three words before, but I saw those symptoms and were like, hold the phone. So it was Mm -hmm. like within one week of this all happening that I learned of what I could possibly have. And then I went down the rabbit hole of like learning about it all, which led me into the rabbit hole of learning who was intricately interwoven in these industries and why they're benefiting off of, off of it, of keeping us sick and not, not really divulging the true injuries that can happen through putting these Mm -hmm. foreign bodies in our body that multiple, multiple lawsuits have been out there since 94 and been Mm. paid out and made silenced through it so the the amazing thing about social media is that now we get to use our voices and the industries can't stop us so even though we can't take down an industry by literally going to war with them in court because we'll be smothered smushed and probably killed literally (laughs) but what i can do is i can use my platform and my voice to then have this domino effect where other girls use their voice but it's not going to necessarily hit through saying look at how bad the industries are because we know like women know 
this is the crazy thing. Like we know they're not good for us and we'll still do it because that's how pervasive the advertising industries are. That's how pervasive our society believes that you will be desirable. You will have the life that you want. You'll be loved by this person you want. If you just feel better about yourself by doing this. So it's like this equation that we believe in and that we wholeheartedly kind of subscribe to from a young age. I mean, we see the Kardashians at such a young age or Jenner's, I should say, normalizing plastic surgery to the point where like 14 year olds are getting nose jobs Mm. it saddens me but i also get it like we are in a time when we just desire so deeply to be loved and accepted and we feel like that is the only way to do it and i want to show that i may have subscribed to that before but i now realize the error in my ways and i want to talk about it and and whoever wants to listen like I'm here for them for that so I think that's if that ties into like why you think like people would be like I don't want to listen to her and stuff like I know there were people that would be like well she has all this you know success so she can say those things and she can tell us not to do it but she did it so it's like yeah but all we have is our testimony that's that's the human experience part of your story at fourth you're saying you had these emotional things going on, but what you could see and what you could focus on and what you could control was your physical appearance. Mm -hmm. And now you talked about like the push-pull dynamic of defining like what is it that makes a woman powerful? Mm -hmm. Is it empowering to say, do whatever you want to do, step in? Mm -hmm. What's in your thought process having achieved what many women on social media, it's like that, that's fantastic. You've done this much. You did your own thing. What do you view as empowering? What do you view as beautiful? That's kind of a loaded question, but I think empowerment comes with the understanding and change of mentality in each woman. So it's not being, I'm empowered because I do X, Y, and Z and I do what I want. Empowered is for me, for me and what I have learned and it might evolve is that it's an understanding that we are all in this experience together and no matter what we do there is grace for us Mm. across the board gender sex like orientation it does across the board the empowerment is that we are not less than because of our sex and we are not less capable of things so it's more so coming to an understanding that whatever you're called to do do that and that if you fall that you'll be picked back up and you can do it again and it doesn't make us any less desirable like the idea of even wanting to be desired by somebody wanting to be loved by a person by society to to achieve a certain level so like that other people can see that you've worked hard right because like the whole idea of success is is by a perspective thing it's by other people seeing it so mm-hmm. your success mm-hmm. one woman's success could be that she raised an awesome child or raised a child with special needs and like that's an incredible feat and another woman could be like it's because i broke the glass ceiling at my job and was able to get this position that no other woman had to be truly empowered is to walk in your calling and to do that to the best of your ability and to continuously grow and understand that we're not perfect in any way, shape or form. I guess I feel like my platform can reach people to hopefully get that message across. I stand by that like wholeheartedly. Part of what I'm hearing in your answer is there 
there is a, I guess you could call it branding marketing idea that we want to take this word empowered and attach it to a certain story or a certain narrative. Yeah. You're broadening your understanding of what that word could mean or it could look like. Right. Why do we need things in almost like a bite-sized format where there's no nuance, there's no room for questioning? It's just this is what this is how it is, and you're either for it or against it. I mean, in the marketing world, like why do why do people use that? Just in general, I mean that's human nature, right? Everything's reduced to a two-second soundbite, and you allow other people to define how you think about things. To me, that's like in- we need instant gratification. We need to know that what we're talking about is hitting with people what we're presenting is going to be received like we're so afraid of rejection we're so afraid of something not hitting as hard Mm -hmm. as we'd like it to right away so we give up people aren't on board with what you're saying or doing so we give up we pivot we change we cannot handle rejection but that's ingrained in us so it's like not even our fault but it's our job to fight against that it's our job to continually progress and follow your calling no matter what adversity comes your way even if people don't understand your vision even if your vision nothing to do with society would deem as success because at the end of the day you don't take shit with you you don't take your accolades you don't take your degrees you don't take your job you don't take your money nothing comes with you except for like what mark you left on this world if your mark was that you gave up on something you believed in because other people didn't see it or believe in it or even understand it or walk with you in it Mm. or not enough people did, then like, what are you really leaving here? What really is your legacy? Like, are you just worried about the interim, the right now? This life is so short that it can't just be about this. I'm wondering, it seems like, willpower drives you but then this big moment where everything shifted was this laying down of your willpower saying i don't know yes 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 yes. (laughs) just that tension or that conflict or that that transition from i'm a doer to i'm focusing on being that so yeah that happened because i surrendered and the only thing I can say to people who haven't been in a position where they've just laid it all on the table and said, I have nothing left to have your way with me and show me my next step. That was what I was forced into. Right before surgery, I had pneumonia back to back for the last six months. And the doctors were like, we can't figure out what's happening to you. I had lost 35 pounds. It's a lot for someone mm. who's like five one. I was very scared. I was a very healthy person my whole life. I had never been put in that position to where all my Mm. tests were coming back negative for anything. And I was slowly dying and I had lost my relationship and was just like at a place that was so dark and so trying that I said, the only thing I have never tried is just to surrender because (laughs) I've had so much willpower my whole life to do it all on my own. And the, Mm. the minute I said, you know what, God, do what you got to do with me. Show me what my next step is. That was when I knew I had to get surgery. And so it didn't matter that I would have to reinvent myself. It didn't matter that my career might be gone because people wouldn't understand it. My relationship was already gone, but maybe no one would ever love me again because my body would be all fucked up. Like these are the things that were going through my mind. But like, it was that I didn't care because I had surrendered fully. So now it didn't matter that I had a platform. I later would, would decide that I needed to talk about it and be called to talk mm-hmm. about it. But it was in that moment that I just laid it all out and was like, 
do what you got to do. Just show me what my next move is. I can't tell you the strength and the power that comes with actually letting go of willpower and just surrendering. Mm. We have willpower when we're determined, when there's something that's been put on our heart to do. But when you don't know what your next move is and you're so lost, the only thing you can do is just surrender. And then once you're shown what to do, then the willpower can kick in and you can just grind it out and keep moving towards where you're being called to and keep following those messages. But until you just say, I have nothing left to give or to, to do, I, I don't even know where to go, and you surrender, willpower will mean nothing. You're going to beat up against a brick wall forever. Like you said, you're a person who you have to learn the hard way or you tend to learn the hard way. <laughs> if, if someone had tried to convince you, you shouldn't be so will independent strong whatever the words are that get to that surrender of will because yeah. obviously no one wants you to be weak or like but that's for you it was not allowing willpower to be right. the thing that defines you any interesting hmm. yeah and that, that was that was so difficult because i had used that as a survival tactic my entire life was be the strong girl be independent be have determination because these were all the things that got me to where I was and were revered from people. I, I wanted to show women that if they were those things, they could accomplish what they wanted. And here I am being like, I have to let all that go to serve, to save myself. Like it doesn't mm. match. It doesn't match. But then I just literally had to surrender because what are you going to do? Like, was I just going to sit there and dwindle away and die? So it, <laughs> I mean, it's, a lot of, a it lot of people funny, do, but I literally was like, yeah, I, I was physically yeah. being brought to my knees where some people won't ever have that moment, but I talk about it so that they can maybe have that moment without having to get your knees broken, without having to go through mm. a major surgery, without having to lose everything. If I can maybe hit someone in a spot where they're like, I don't want to get to quote unquote rock bottom before I have mm -hmm. that change of mentality and understand that I'm not in control. I know how to work hard. I know how to achieve what I really want. But when you don't know what the next step is, when you are completely lost, when you feel like you have lost everything and you have no idea, because ultimately we're all gonna probably get there with the world that we're in. There's gonna be some place mm -hmm. in your life where you're like, I got nothing left. So show me what I need to do. And like, that's when you surrender. And that's when like your biggest strength will come to you. If I show you my demons and we dive into the deep end, would we crash and burn like every time before? That's what I'm saying, Andrew. You try to talk about something that you're really passionate about. There's always going to be people that don't understand it, don't want to hear it. And you will get hung up on so many times if you're not really sure about your message. <laughs> Stay vulnerable.